what is really going on, Crypto Savages? This is your host, C. Edward Kelso, Editor-in-Chief out at Coinspice.io, back with another episode of the Coinspice podcast. And this time around, I've got Gabriel Shear. He is co-founder of Fort Galt, which is located in Valdivia, Chile, one of the oldest cities in the Western Hemisphere, at least post-Columbian. Um, he is a Canadian expat that in his mid-20s got all into crypto kind of dovetailed with his love of libertarian ideas which you know often happens and it sent him on this journey uh that five years later he is uh he is making real we sit around and talk a lot about getting away from the system of doing your own thing of you know taking the the sort of the logic of, of cryptocurrency and and building outside of the system and reimagining the world gabriel Shear is actually doing it and before you get mad at me go, oh well there's these are all scams and they're land grabs and yeah, trust me he knows he's very aware of that as am i the difference is gabriel's actually doing it they've broken ground they're building you can you know see in the in the show notes page uh all the documentation there and he is actually a victim of <laughs> some of the earlier scams and as we were taping uh just so turns out that uh, a very famous uh, scam, or, or at least uh, alleged scam, um, Bitcointopia um, and Morgan Raccoons uh, basically pled guilty to uh, wire fraud and um, you know related uh, issues there. So this is raw, this is real. But what I wanted to do was kind of show that it's not over, that you know Bitcoiners have not forgotten this idea and that there are still people down building tangible physical projects and they're using crypto to grease it uh, to make it happen along with the philosophy behind it. Sheer does not, Gabriel does not sugarcoat any of this as you'll get into it. Uh, we get way into the weeds about Chilean culture, about the challenges of being an expat there, what it means, what realistically this could evolve into. Uh, it is not Bitcointopia. It is not Ancapistan, but it is a super interesting start, uh, a, a foot in to this idea. Anyway, that's a long way to go to tell you, get some milk. Again, I'm not going to judge you if you go the almond milk variety it's gonna get spicy sit back and enjoy gabriel Shear, co-founder of fort galt what is really going on crypto savages you are listening to the coin spice podcast with host c edward kelso editor-in-chief at coinspice.io your home for spicy crypto things on the net. I am a giant longtime fan, as we just kind of discussed here. Is it possible that I've been following you for something like five years? Is that even possible? Have you been doing this sort of thing for five years? Yeah, it's all kind of a blur now, but it has been pretty much five years now since I got down here in Chile. Damn, that's incredible. So let's, uh, let's kind of uh, start off from there. Um, you know, how, first off, where do you, where, I, I think you're Canadian, right? Yeah, I guess to understand why and what I'm doing here, you got to backtrack a little bit. 
uh, around 2013 or so, right when Bitcoin was becoming user-friendly for the masses with the blockchain.info wallet and all that. Right. Um, I, w- I was getting into it, then I got mining. Uh, friends and I were setting up uh, Bitcoin ATMs and getting people to use the currency in Vancouver. And so everyone's excitement was bursting and we were all having a great time. And, and around that time, I was seeing ads on YouTube for a real estate project in Chile that was accepting Bitcoin. So I thought, well, naturally, all the cool kids are going to move down there now. So I got it in my head to sell all my stuff and move on down there and jump in. Wow. And, and how so long ago that. was that? How, roughly when was that? Oh. Uh, 2013 is when I made the decision and then I ended up getting down here 2014, the very start of it. So now just just Uh, to step on you a little bit, so you're in, you're in Vancouver, Canada. Is, is there anything in your past? Is there anything in your, um, uh, makeup that, that you would eventually be in, you know, one of the oldest, uh, uh, cities really in the Western hemisphere, um, in a, in a Spanish speaking nation in Chile, I mean, is there, or is this just completely, you know, what, what you said is that you just got it in your head and you were going to go. Well, I, I had caught the libertarian slash objectivist slash anarcho-capitalist bug around that time. And there was a lot of overlapping philosophy between the, those camps and the Bitcoin camp. And with a lot of the people that were moving down to this project in, in Chile. So that kind of was the shining beacon that lured me down in the first place. And then as I was making the move in March, I was contacted by somebody that was involved with an entrepreneurship boot camp that was also in Chile and just happened to be uh, happening around the time that I was supposed to show up. So it sounded like a great way to kind of get my feet wet and get into the country. And, you know, because there was going to be a lot of English speaking people involved and it sounded like a lot of them were kind of humming on the same wavelength as me and it'd be a good way to introduce myself to Chile. So I signed up for that and jumped in and that lasted for about three months. It was on the coast, Vina del Mar. And that's where I met the Crowleys who would eventually become my business partners with Fort Galt. And then also met Patrick White after that too, who joined our, our team as well. We have four co-founders that started Fort Galt. And Fort Galt wasn't the initial settlement project, right? The the initial uh, one, as I remember, was the Galt's Gulch idea. Um, was- yeah, that was that was the one that originally attracted me down here. And when I showed up and and volunteered to help out, basically their IT guy had just quit, so there was kind of a natural vacancy for me to pick up the slack there and help with the marketing and managing the websites and social media and that kind of stuff. So I hung around for about three months. During that time, things started to reveal themselves in terms of how the whole thing was essentially a scam. They were, they were selling subdivisions that didn't exist and could never legally exist because the place is environmentally protected. So essentially the plots of land that they were selling you know, promises of sale to, they were too small. And that area, it's protected in a way as such that you can only subdivide the land to a certain size, very large parcels. 
So inevitably, it was this freight train running towards this inevitable revelation of, sorry, guys, you can't have this land that I sold you because it's tough luck. (laughs) So once word got out about all that, then it became pretty clear that I couldn't, you know, stick around and try to do anything there because the place was doomed to fall apart. And, you know, $10 million went down the drain and there was a whole bunch of mess to clean up. Yeah, and, and, and it just, uh, again, to step on you here a, a second, <clears throat> the, the Galt's Gulch um, uh, fiasco became kind of worldwide news. I mean, it was, it was covered by Wired and a many thousand uh, word oh, yeah. uh, uh, article. It, it, it was everywhere. So I'm such a, a baby and, and such a, a whiner that, um, first off, I probably would have never taken the risk that you did initially. So that just kind of goes to your uh, sort of the heroic side of you. But also you know, that would be enough for me. I'd be like, F these people, I'm gone. I'm going to go back to the beautiful Vancouver with sane Canadians and just kind of live my life and, you know, do my own thing. But but you stay. Oh, there are days, man. I, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's, again, that's, I'm, glad you, I'm glad to see that human side of you. But also, I mean, you, you essentially double down on, on the idea, you know, minus the scam. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of stubborn, I guess. Um, it it kind of pissed me off the way that they dragged the Rand name through the dirt like that and sullied it and turned everything into a laughing stock. Yeah. So I figured, you know, one thing we could do is it's not that complicated of a business model. We could just go do it right somewhere and re- redeem it, you know, and clean it off. How long could that possibly take? Maybe... A year, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, so, so the goal is, uh, just in case I, I didn't make it clear enough uh, in my questioning, the, the goal was to sort of create um, out of your, your entrepreneurial boot camp and meeting all these exciting and, and interesting people and then kind of going off to, to apply these ideas, these lessons, and seeing it you know, fall apart for various reasons. The idea, it, the whole goal of it, uh, that, that that becomes Fort Galt is to break away to to make an intentional community, right? Yeah, I mean, we love to sit back and philosophize about who will build the roads and how things would work in a theoretical perfect society that's voluntary and all that. But taking it to practical application really tests the theories and forces you to consider every little aspect that you normally wouldn't have to. So it's been really good for me in that sense because it's, it's forced me day after day to kind of rethink the things from a practical perspective and, and really test the theories that I have clung to. Yeah. That, and of that, course, go ahead. And of course, uh, of course things have taken a whole lot longer than we anticipated they would in the very beginning. Cause when we started, we had kind of the perfect combination of enthusiasm and just, rabid ignorance (laughs) but i i think that if we didn't have that like if we had known how hard it was going to be and how long it would take we might not have taken the leap so i I guess it's kind of good that we didn't know too much wow that's that's incredible and so you land in chile now now chile is 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 for for you know people who don't know who've never been there uh, Chile has a very interesting mix 
Um, it's certainly, if not the oldest, um, I guess, post-Columbian society, uh, New World society, uh, it's, it's right up there. It, it kind of hugs the, um, the southern, western tip of South America. It's, it's like a, almost like a worm that kind of hugs the coast there. And where I've been able to determine uh, Valdivia, where you are, is just slightly south of, of Santiago and, and right on the coast. Is, is, is that right? Yeah, it's about a 10-hour drive south of Santiago. Okay. It's a really long drive. I mean, the country's basically as long from north to south as the U.S. is wide. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. And why, why – okay, so why – you know, because, again, you're, you're there, and I, I get that. Again, I, I would have taken off long. I don't think I would have ever gone down there. I'm such a baby. But you're, you're there – you know, obviously you want to stay there. Are, are there certain advantages before we get too far ahead here that you could see um, already about being in Chile in Valdivia? Well, I think part of what attracted a lot of us to Chile in the first place was its geographical composition and just where it fits into the world. Because, I mean, a lot of us at the time were seeing signs of instability with the U.S. and with you know, the northern countries in, in general. And we were looking for somewhere that, you know, we could have a healthy bit of distance from all the craziness. And then when you start looking into things like how the weather patterns would uh, contain all of the nuclear fallout, should anything like that happen up north, um, and just how everything's kind of disconnected down here, and how there are no targets that would be of any value in any major global conflict and all that kind of Holy stuff. Holy crap. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. There's, there's so many little things like that that come into play when you're thinking long-term. See, thinking that's, that's a difference between you and I. I'm thinking, are the chicks hot and how much does the rent cost? Gabriel yeah. is, is, has, has got his <laughs> – Gabriel's the intellectual visionary. I'm the dolt. Um, Gabriel's like, look, man, in a nuclear fallout, we're going to be relatively safe. Yeah, I, I'd say you, you've thought this through, but, but go ahead on, on the advantages. Well, it's like, where do I want to have kind of my home base that I can fall back on, you know, because I'm you know, still relatively young. You know, I just hit 30 here fairly recently, and mm -hmm. I got all kinds of stuff I want to do in the future. But it would be nice to always have somewhere that you can feel safe, that you can come back to if things don't work out so well, you know. So Chile just kind of struck me as being a perfect candidate for that sort of a fallback place, you know, uh, home base. And, you know, the Crowleys and, and Patrick and our first members that joined up one by one kind of shared that idea of like, this is a, a nice little pocket to call home and feel safe. And, and when you're in that supportive, safe environment, you can feel more relaxed and free to experiment and share ideas and start, you know, developing new ideas and start businesses together. And, and that's what kind of led us to the entrepreneurship theme of things is that we, we, we just want to live somewhere where we can develop ideas with each other and start projects and have like an incubator that we can always feel like we aren't stuck. You know, we aren't, we aren't just doomed to stay in a particular paradigm or way of, of doing things. We're always not only free, but encouraged to push boundaries and collaborate with each other to do creative problem solving. That's just kind of the environment that I want to live in. So I guess we just had to take the first step and 
keep going until it somehow comes together. That is, that is crazy. And <clears throat> was there a lot or is there still a lot or do you find that, that people have when they come down there from, from places in, uh, uh, in, in the North and English speaking worlds in particular, there's a lot of, uh, of um, kind of culture shock? There can be. Um, it kind of just depends on your own personal preferences and how you take to the Spanish language and the Chilean culture. It's not for everyone. Some people will like it more than others. It's just a personal preference thing. Um, personally, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, it's that's interesting. It's been something, yeah, it's it, it's been one of the challenges. Like, if I divide everything into two columns of like pros and cons, I would I would, I would put the culture and language stuff into kind of the cons, the uh, the the barriers that I'm always having to deal with. But and and, and how so? Just I, I don't want to dwell on the cons too much, yeah. but uh, you know this is a, I think a, a practical consideration where um, yeah. you know some of us you know get all excited because you know especially if you look at the pictures that I've been um, I'm seeing um, on Facebook as we're, we're BFFs that yeah. I you know I go wow this is incredible and yet you know there are some practical issues so just briefly you know kind of kind of touch on those. Yeah, so like in terms of uh, the culture, I mean, you, you kind of got to get a, a large picture of it to really understand what I'm talking about. So like in terms of safety and crime and that sort of thing, there's no violent crime here, really. I mean, th there might be the occasional uh, incident between, you know, gang members or personal whatever, like there is everywhere, but uh -huh. it's not the kind of place where you have to worry about walking out at night or anything. It's perfectly safe from that aspect. There's nowhere in town here that I don't feel safe. So there's no like violence to worry about in that sense, but that's not to say that there's no crime. There's plenty of white collar crime. There's plenty of uh, petty scamming and like thieving things out of your a suitcase. I remember the first time we came down here, we lost a few items out of our suitcase to, to uh. thieves. Our construction site has been robbed a couple of times. Um, so stuff like that is annoying, you know, but of course there are a few places in the world that doesn't have some of that. So, I mean, right. I guess maybe I'm being a little hard on it sometimes. As long as you take, you know, reasonable precautions and things, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. There, there is a lot of bureaucracy, though. So in the U.S., of course, there is too. And there's a lot of really big barriers that are hard to overcome. So from the entrepreneurship aspect, it can be really hard to start a business in the first place in the U.S. sometimes because of regulations and taxes mm -hmm. and various barriers like that, laws. Down here, you don't have that problem. You can start pretty much anything, and it's it's usually fairly easy to get going. But there's a whole lot of little tiny annoying steps along the way. Everything's got to be notarized and stamped and fingerprinted, and got to have a national ID card. There's just so much crap to wade through, and you just have to kind of numb yourself to it sometimes. <laughs> all right, so, and so so you you fought through all that. So these are these are some of the basic sort of practical. Um, every day. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. This is the stuff that you can never really know or anticipate until you just get down here and start swinging. <laughs> like, yeah. There are lawyers and stuff that will handle things for you, but 
that's just a money pit that never goes away because um, there's an endless number of things that these legal fixers can do for you and they will do for you and they will charge you for whether they're completely necessary or not. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's just a, a learning process and as annoying as it has been for us, I like to think that we can kind of spare the rest of our members a lot of the headache because we know from experience now what's necessary and what's not and what to do when and all that fun stuff. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was going to lead you. <clears throat> I was going to, that's, that's what I think uh, someone could come away with if they're looking for an intentional kind of micro society um, with your flavor. Um, I think you're, ironically, the fact that you've been down there for so long and gone through so much shit, like, I, you know, and you're still around and, and you're thriving, which, which is where I'd like to uh, uh, talk about now um, or lead into anyway, it says an awful lot about you and your character and your, your business partners, but also the fact that you guys, you guys know. You guys know from Chile, you know from Valdivia, you know how this stuff works and uh, hopefully how to make it work. So, man, when, when you know, I've been watching this go and, and I saw, you know, years ago, you were one of kind of a handful. There were the Seasteaders. Um, uh, there was what, Lieberland in Europe. There are a couple others kind of floating around, all these people with these grand ideas. And I saw that you had some land. I mean, it's, it's hard to know, you know, on social media and on the internet what's real, but you had some land that looked like there was some wood lying around there. You had a, you had a logo and then the hard hat pictures. And I saw some of that stuff. I was like, okay, all right. And I kept watching it. And now you're, I mean, you, you have full-fledged complex, right? So can you kind of take us through um, that, that process and, and how far you've come? And we don't have to go all the way back, but um, kind, of, kind of where you are now, sort of. Yeah, like when the, uh, when the Gulf's Gulch project capsized and we decided to head out and look for a new place, we basically just started around the Santiago area, which is about the same climate as California and just gradually started heading south, which is the equivalent in North America of traveling north. <laughs> and uh, right. Santiago, water is kind of scarce. So the area around Gulch Gulch was very dry and water rights are expensive. So knowing all that, we wanted to look for somewhere where the water was plentiful and that wasn't going to be an issue. Valdivia is the rainiest city I've ever seen in my life. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Half the year, it's just rain. Like, I don't know if you saw Star Wars Episode 2 where they were on that planet where they hatched the clone army. It, it, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But during the summer, it's, it's gorgeous. So I think a lot of our members have it in mind to kind of aim to spend half the year when it's nice down here and then maybe go somewhere else during the summer their summer in the northern hemisphere sure. that's that's some that's something else people sometimes overlook is that the seasons are flipped down here so when it's winter up north it's summer down here right so for people that want to split their year half here and half somewhere else up north it makes sense if you want to avoid harsh weather but uh so yeah during the, the summer down here it's very nice during the winter it rains a lot but that rain is actually a really good thing because it means we never have to worry about water rights or scarcity or anything like that. And the water quality is very great. We have a whole bunch of wells. We've got all that handled. 
But basically, long story short, when we got down to Valdivia and decided that this was the right general area, we then had to undergo the grueling task of actually finding the precise location. And real estate down here is a funny animal. It's There's no centralized um, multiple listing service type website. Oh, so wow. you you just have to drive around and look at signs and write down numbers and call people up and harass people. And there's, there's a couple of websites like Yapo or there's the Facebook marketplace and stuff like that where you can find a few listings here and there. But there's a lot of just boots on the ground grunt work that you got to do just to find a place. And then once you find a few candidates, you have to go and make sure that they check out because for instance, in the area that we found our place at, there's a lot of farmland for sale up there and nice looking little spots on the coast, but a lot of them do not have the proper title available for sale because there's a lot of land up there that's owned by natives and they're not allowed to sell to foreigners. So any quote unquote sale that they do is not legal and can be reversed at any time. So you might think you get a great deal on a little piece of land, but then 10 years later, someone might come along from the family that owned it and say, guess what? This is ours. Sorry. Of course, and after, of, after you've developed it and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. They wait for you to spend all the money and do all of the work and then they'll come and grab it from you later. So we had to make sure that there were no issues like that with our land. You got to go to the city hall, check all of the records, make sure everything checks out. Because, yeah, there's a lot of, like I said earlier, white-collar scammery that goes on. So, eventually, we... Go ahead. We, uh, so, so, you were... So, you you found all that. You've, you've, you've kind of chopped through um, water, which is obviously a huge issue. Um, I'm assuming um, you're hooked up to the grid in terms of electricity, or, or how is that working? Yeah, we are. I mean, long-term, the plan is to have uh, off-grid uh, backups so that we're self-sufficient, okay. but... For right now, when we're just doing all of the, the initial work and construction and stuff, it's it's easy just to stay hooked up to the grid. And and how many how many plots uh, do you do you anticipate? So, what what size land do you have, and, and how many plots and so on? It's about a hundred acres right on the coast, and it wow. was sub it was subdivided into sixty lots. One of them is a big shared park that all of the members have free access to. There's trails that you can hike down through the forest. There's a little stream down there with a bridge and all that nice stuff. And, and for the most part, the lots were divided into to parcels that range in size between uh, half a hectare and a full hectare. So that's like... A, an acre and two acres, okay. roughly speaking. Those are those um, are deep them, size. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they're 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 great, and most of them are are covered in forest. So it's it's up to you as the buyer to decide like where on the lot do you want your house, so you can just clean clear a, a little spot for that. Some of the lots are mostly cleared, which kind of simplifies things. Some are easier to build on than others in terms of how flat they are and they all have their own unique features like view of the ocean or view of the beach or whatever. So it's, I mean, a lot of people send me emails asking about what's the price of a lot, you know, as if they're all the same. And right. Is <laughs> not the case. So I always say like, well, 
let me know what you're looking for and, and what you have in mind. And I can help steer you towards one that'll suit you better. Or, I mean, ideally just come down and check them out. That's, <laughs> that's the best case. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's always hard to show with pictures what it really feels like, you know, but anyway, we probably wouldn't have even found this place if it hadn't have been for a real estate agent that we were dealing with at the time, simply ignoring what we told her. I mean, we specifically said we have no money, so find us one that is humbly priced <laughs> that we can more feasibly afford to purchase. And, uh, she just ignored that completely and brought us out to this amazing spot that was worth several million dollars at that time. So when she brought us out there, I mean, I knew right off, off the bat that this wasn't really feasible, but it was so good that it was just, it just overwhelmed that uh, cautionary practical side of me. And it just became a case of, well, I don't know how we're going to afford this, but we'll find a way. <laughs> and as, as the pictures, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, you can't really even describe it with photos, but anyway, we, uh, we met the landowner and he turned out to be a ex army guy here who is essentially a farmer now. And he had owned land for a long time. He's getting up there in age. But he had partnered up with a lady uh, about 15 years ago who had an idea about designing an eco-community. And she had done a lot of the preliminary work in terms of getting the subdivisions approved and doing up a plan for this nice little town that she had in mind. But then just as things were rolling, she died. And so her whole plan just went on the shelf and the landowner had no experience with real estate or development or anything like that. And he didn't really know how to proceed. So he just kind of let it sit there and didn't do anything with it for about 10 years until wow. we showed up. And once we started talking to him and kind of explaining who we are and what we were trying to do, his eyes just lit right up and he said, wow, that's kind of similar to what this lady was trying to do 10 years ago. So he showed us her plan and as we kind of shared ideas, he just warmed up to us and he's been really great to deal with this whole time. So essentially we worked out this deal with him where we could start working and we could essentially buy the land that we need as we need it from. And we didn't have to buy all 100 acres all in one shot. Like if we want to start building a, a complex and show what we're doing and if people want to build a few houses or something, we can just buy a few lots and, and get rolling. And because he wants to sell all of this land and he doesn't know how to go about doing it and he didn't have any success with the local real estate agents, he essentially just recruited us to be his exclusive salespeople. There it is. And he said, yeah, he said like, okay, you guys know what kind of customer you want, what, what kind of people you want to move in. So you can find them, you can screen them, you can bring them in. And he's happy to just sit back and collect their monies. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. So, so end, go ahead. It all worked out pretty well. And so you're, you're building now, because uh, uh, it looks like you've, you're, you're well on your way. Um, can you kind of tell the folks uh, how far you are in terms of actual, you know, construction? Yeah, like we knew that 
as beautiful as this land is, people need a lot more than just that in order to motivate them to actually move down here and relocate and set up a new life. So we knew that we'd have to start this, this vision rolling and actually produce something tangible that was cool enough to actually get people down here to join up. So we started with this first kind of communal building. It's sort of a cross between a hotel and a condo and a private club. It's structured like a, a private club. And the idea is that we get convenient options in place first because homesteading is a whole lot of work and most people are not up to that. And even if you have local builders and stuff do the grunt work, it's still a mountain of headaches in terms of, you know, the paperwork, the bureaucracy, managing them, overseeing the workers, all that kind of stuff. So we knew we had to offer something kind of turnkey that people could just look at and go, oh, that looks great. I, I want to live there now. You know? Yep. And just, and just do it. So that was our first focus. And that has been building this first, this first complex. And it's for about 20 people to live in one spot, you know, rooms where you just move right in, everything's ready, all the hard work is done. And immediately you have a whole bunch of neighbors all around you, like I said earlier, who are already going through all, all the same things you are. We're on site to help you with anything you need in terms of relocating, dealing with visas, anything like that, finding, you know, services, groceries, whatever. And just have like a, a very tight knit group of first movers. And so right almost now, almost like your, your personal concierge. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but like it's it, at the entrepreneurship boot camp that we all met at in the first place, the guy running it, that was one point he constantly harped on was the value of just getting your minimum viable product up first. And then your first movers, your first users can help you refine it and then expand afterwards. So that's kind of the approach that we've been taking this whole time. Like in the very beginning, we had these huge ideas of how big our thing could potentially be and all the features it could have and stuff like that. But as we got more serious and, and down to business, we had to say, okay, what do we actually have to work with? What can we feasibly do? and do quickly enough to actually have a shot at completing it and not have it just turn into this lofty dream that never takes shape. So ultimately this, this building that we're building right now is the manifestation of that. And we've been working all year here. Uh, the framing is almost complete. They just have to put the outline of the roof on now. They've done the first two stories. And they're already closing it up. The goal is to have it all sealed up and essentially weatherproof by the end of the season so that when the rains come, they can keep on working inside and not have to stop. Awesome. Awesome. And for people that want to move, I mean, there's, there's plenty of places in the world to move that are wonderful, uh, that are gated, intentional communities. Um, what, what will be special about Fort Galt? Uh, what what kind of people are, are you looking for? Or are are you, um, I guess, marketing to or, or or trying to entice? Well, it definitely helps if you have your own income situation figured out. If you're a freelancer, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're if you're able to move around and not be dependent on a job somewhere else, that's obviously a very large factor in most people's lives. So. 
we knew right from the beginning that that would have to kind of be the angle that we work with is, you know, we're not trying to get you to quit your job or find a new job down here, which is also difficult for foreigners. Ideally, you want to be a freelancer and be flexible in that sense. And part of the beauty of that boot camp that we were at is that it was this environment where all of these uh, budding entrepreneurs, they were living in a pretty tight spot together, seeing each other all, well, not all day, but a good portion of each day for three months straight, working together, working on projects, and a lot of ideas would pop up and partnerships would form. And it was just this creative catalyst. And at the end of it, you know, everyone had to just kind of go back home to their home countries and go back into their old habits a lot of the time and their friends fell away. And it was a shame to see all that built up only to fall again. So part of what we had in mind the whole time was just establishing a more permanent version of that, that sort of perpetually creative environment that, except this time you don't have to go home. You actually live there. You have uh, living quarters and, you know, there's no clock that you have to worry about because that's your home. So if you're starting a project, you don't have to think of, okay, well, it has to be something that can be wrapped up within two months or, you know, this is just temporary because it's, it's not. You can actually dream big and sit around the campfire with your new neighbors and hatch out some pretty awesome schemes. So that's the sort of place that we want to live in ourselves. And that's what we're trying to formulate here. And so the people that have been attracted to it so far, just they're of that same mindset. They're looking for the same thing. And I mean, I didn't even know in the beginning if there were that many people like that out there to begin with. <laughs> right. who, would, who would actually, you know, want that as bad as we do and be willing to take that kind of a, a leap. So our, our first movers are crazy. I mean, they're almost as crazy as us. <laughs> but and uh, they're, they're, go ahead. They're the exact kind of crazy that I want more in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, crazy is is what we do at Coin Spice. Crazy is is who we are. And so, on that uh, on that note, how how is crypto uh, played a role, or is playing a role, or will, or however you want to frame it? Um, in Fort Galt and the community you're, you're building down there? It's, it's just part of the fabric. I mean, it's, it was part of what lured me down to Chile in the first place. I mean, Galt's Gulch was accepting Bitcoin, and that's what kind of set it apart from everything else and attracted me. And then, I mean, from a practical side, it's so much easier for foreigners to use for something like this like sending wires through the bank and the SWIFT system and stuff is such a nightmare sometimes. And like, especially for us customers, I mean, right. they've got the IRS and the SEC watching and there's all these little things that some of them have to be wary of, you know? So crypto just really removes a lot of those headaches and makes it makes things so much simpler. So all of our members have been using it this whole time and it's, it's really made a lot of aspects of the project go so much more smoothly. And so you're so what you're saying is you've actually had people pay for their their plots with crypto. Almost all of them, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. And so do you anticipate that to just grow in terms of the uh the little uh economy that you'll have 
sort of independent of everything else. Um, do you do you anticipate that just growing within your in your society there? To an extent, um, I mean, to be honest, it's really hard to make any sort of claims like that when you still have to function in someone else's world. Sure. So this is this is not a sovereign country that we're staking or or claiming to be separate from Chile in any way. I mean, this is just a gated community within Chile. We're under Chilean law, all of that. So, I mean, people still want to function in Chile. We ha- we hire Chilean workers to do the building. They don't accept Bitcoin. I mean, it's right, right. I mean, Chileans in general are kind of slow to pick up on new technologies and implement them too. I mean, I just started using credit cards not not too recently. I mean, yeah. So there's it, there's the natural distrust, uh, which I find yeah. kind of kind of warm, but uh, of of non cash transactions, right? Right, and, and just any new thing coming out of the West, so to speak. You know? <laughs> yeah, probably just, for good reason, but yeah. Yeah, everyone's got their reasons for sure, sure. but man, sometimes you just want to pick someone up and say, "Dude, <laughs> why, why don't you digital <laughs> websites?" Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> we've got this thing called the website. internet now. Uh, finding a functioning Chilean website is like a needle in a haystack. But, wow, that is crazy. Right. Well, that's also an opportunity too, right? You would think so. You would think so. And maybe it, it will turn out to be one. But the reason there aren't functioning websites are because they don't understand the value of them. They don't right. value them in general. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in the bigger picture because you'll see a lot of African countries, for instance, you know, they just skipped over landline phones entirely and went right. straight to mobile. And now they're using mobile minutes as their own currency. And all these weird little aberrations happen just because of how technology was adopted. So here, for instance, I mean, Facebook subsidizes the carriers and everything. So when you get your phone and you get it recharged with service and stuff, Facebook is free. So there's a lot of people that just run everything on Facebook and don't even use the regular internet. You know, they think Facebook is the internet. (laughs) Right, right. It would become synonymous after a while, sure. Yeah, so everyone's got a Facebook page, but they probably don't have a website. <laughs> wow, that's really, really fascinating. But but then again, there I think that's an opening for you guys, uh, I th- or could be potentially anyway. Um, oh, and- there's, there's so many opportunities like that here, but they're not just like magical opportunities that you just push a button and all of a sudden you've capitalized on it and right. it's done. There's a lot of work that you got to put into teaching the market why they should value this thing that they don't have <laughs> and and building out that that infrastructure sure sure that's a that's a whole other game because go ahead like i had a friend down here from croatia who was a professional photographer and in vancouver i mean that means that's a solid gig that anyone can pay their bills very handsomely on like right there's Everyone needs weddings and anniversaries, all kinds of events and stuff done, and that's a very normal thing there. But down here, it's definitely not. Everyone thinks that, oh, I need pictures taken, I'll just shoot it on my phone, or here's a little $100 Canon reflex camera, I'll, I'll, I'll just use that. You right. Know, th- there's no appreciation for p- professional photos. So he was having a really hard time just teaching the local market why they should hire him in the first place. 
Wow, that, that's fascinating. That is really, really, really fascinating. And so is your so when my crypto people want to get a hold of you, they, they want to buy, buy their plots of land, uh, all that seems to be doable. Um, oh, yeah. What's your uh, – what? so going forward – uh, I think what you said is, uh, you know, the, the idea is to have a minimum viable product. People see it, people live it. You let those people kind of sell it through example and, you know, kind of sells itself sort of thing. And you inevitably want to make this a turnkey project that people can just, you know, go down. They don't have to, you know, get shovels and axes and stuff. Just They just go down there and they, they, they you know, they walk into their home and they're, they're ready to go, um, you know, more or less. So what – what what's your plan for the future well this is kind of a unique time right now because we're in that sweet spot between cheap but high risk and expensive and low risk <laughs> our our first people to join the project were the crazy pioneers who got in at a good price but that's because it was you right. know on paper quite risky there wasn't anything built yet it was just a dream and a couple of crazy dudes in in chile you know so that time has passed now, and we're we're in that halfway point where we've got the project rolling, the construction is underway. You know that that risk of will it even happen is gone, but we're still not quite at that point where it's it's done and it's all shiny and it sells it, it, it sells. It's in that awkward halfway point. So it's, it's a good time for people to jump in who have had their eye on it or have been looking for something like that for quite some time but weren't sure maybe which way to lean or where to go. If you've been looking for something like this, I mean, this is a great time to visit while the weather's still nice. We've got a few people coming down now, and, I mean, there's always room for more. But longer term this is just the birth of a new town. I mean, all my ANCAP and libertarian friends and stuff talk about how society at large should function, but there's a lot to be said for just starting a town, <laughs> just a little town, just a yeah. little village, you know? Yeah, just well, let's, let's see you do it's it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, he says, clean your room. Well, okay, but that's, that's a great first step. After clean your room, maybe clean the rest of your house, get that in order, maybe a, a farm. That's how I grew up, was on a farm, and that's you know quite a bit to manage. But on the farm, we had neighbors, and if you had a fire or if you had a burglar and you had to call a cop or a fire department or something, that was at least a half an hour drive. So that wasn't very, very feasible a lot right. of time. So the neighbors just kind of de facto functioned like a little country almost <laughs> where if if they wanted a, a road built out so that they could access a field or something they didn't call the government for permission they called their neighbors you know they they figured out okay who would benefit from this road let's let's call them um whose land would it have to go through we should call them and get their permission and it just everyone voluntarily organized and sorted this stuff out so in the founding of a town, a lot of that same mentality comes into plays. You just got to look at things practically and start small and then build out. And you get to test a lot of the theories that you've had ba uh, bouncing around in your heads and stuff. And so ultimately, that's what we're doing is just 
you don't have to move to Somalia, right? Like they keep telling us. <laughs> and, and we are big fans of seasteading. Yeah. But that, that's what I would probably consider to be the next step out from this scale. Because to do that on a similar scale as a town would require a lot more investment. Sure. So once we've got this done, kind of the idea is to use it as a model, sort of a template that not only others can replicate, but we can also replicate elsewhere too. So that in time, we can have this network sprouting up all, all over the world of these little nodes. So that we can sort of have like a decentralized country of sorts, like seasteading, but on land. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> We're reinventing stuff. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, no, that's great. Exactly. Uh, awesome. That's an awesome but image. That's, that's what this technology has allowed us to do now is the way that the internet and social media and everything, they've, they've allowed us to find our tribe worldwide, even though there's all kinds of weird ge geographical constraints and co complications. We can at least find our... E each other now and organize and then gather together physically and it's like we're at this point now where the digital age and the physical reflection of it are starting to match up that is that is incredible and it's a it's an exciting time uh to do this um you know gabriel uh Shear is one of these guys that you just want to keep your eye on uh, obviously my uh, my bias is to, you know, for you to go and check him out and visit him in Valdivia and buy a plot and all that good stuff. But for now, where 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 can people find your work? Where where can they follow you? We're at fortgalt.com. F-O-R-T-G-A-L-T.com. I'm also pretty easy to find on Facebook or wherever. Um, we have a Facebook group for enthusiasts and friends of the project and that sort of thing. And, and we'll, then, we'll link to all that on, on the show notes. Yeah. And then we have a private group for members that have actually joined up. Very, very nice. Well, um, wow, man, I, I've kept you for, for far too long. Um, what a fantastic update. Super excited to see where this goes and how you guys work this out. Um, as I said, I followed this for, Jesus, half a decade now. And so it's, uh, it's amazing to see your steadfastness if you're looking to invest in one of these kind of crazy wilder ideas, I, you know, I think Gabriel really is the dude to, to seek out here. Um, I don't want to rank all the different projects, but he's, I, you know, Fort Galt to me has ascended past really everything else that's out there. So uh, do, do give him a look up. Uh, thanks, Gabriel, uh, for coming on. And thanks for all your time, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care.